Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Trupanion is proud to sponsor Pure Dog Talk. In uncertain times like these, it's more important than ever to make sure your pet is protected. The Trupanion policy provides medical insurance for pets, helping to cover the cost of unexpected veterinary bills. They also have a program just for breeders, so you can send your puppies home covered. Their special offer waives the waiting periods for your buyers, so the coverage goes into effect immediately. Trupanion is here to help provide peace of mind for both you and your buyers. The Breeder Support Program is free for breeders to join, so get started today. You can follow the link on my website, puredogtalk.com, and don't forget to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm super excited. We get to talk about a very cool, very rare breed. We've just come off a month of rare breeds, but I couldn't pass up this opportunity. So my friend Brandy Miller is here, and she is going to talk to us about the Chongqing dog. I think I got that right. Did I do okay, Brandy? Yeah. Awesome. So this is a fascinating breed to me, and I've loved meeting them at the dog shows when you've had them there. So what I want to do is a little bit of 411, sort of how you got started. And I know this is not your only breed. And so what brought you to them from the Corsos? And then we can really dive into the breed and its history and all that kind of stuff. So give us the 411, man. (laughs) You know, I wasn't expecting to get a little dog. I was handling some Connie Corsos for a breeder friend of mine. And she started talking about these Chinese dogs that she was going to import and start a breeding program with. And I kind of found them interesting. So I started doing a little research on them. And then it came up that she's like, well, you know, you go to all these dog shows. Would you be interested in one of these puppies that I'm going to have? (laughs) I will essentially give you one from one of my first litters of these dogs I imported if you're interested. And I was like... Well, I'll come down and meet them and I'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So I went down to New Mexico and visited her for a weekend. And basically she's like, you can choose whichever you want from the litter with the exception of these two. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll dive in and give it a try. I was very surprised. A lot different from what I was used to. Right. As far as dogs go. Well, we hear the corsos in the background, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How to set them up, yeah. (laughs) It's all right. It's a dog podcast. We get it. So before you acquired one of these, what got you started with dogs in general and Corso specifically and all of that? I've always had a dog. Gone through several different breeds in my adult life. I was living alone. I wanted a dog that I wouldn't (laughs) feel scared to be alone with. Right. And actually rescue Corso. And then I just fell in love with that breed. Right. And there was no going back. I had had pugs in the past for quite a long (laughs) time, so I enjoy that clown behavior. And it's funny because these Chongqing dogs actually have a clown funny side to them. 
They look all business when you meet them, but they actually do have a funny side with their people at all. <laughs> this is a terrible thing to say, but to me, they sort of fall into the so ugly they're cute category. Is that rude? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually get that a lot. <laughs> Your puppies were stinking adorable, but like, wow, little wrinkled old men. <laughs> they do. They start out looking really cute. Then they go through, like you said, an ugly, so ugly, they're cute phase. And then they change so much the breed as it develops. It's crazy how much they change. <laughs> That's wild. Okay, so tell us about the breed. Tell us they're from China. Are they from a particular region of China? Or, I mean, that's a big country. Yeah, so they are from China. They're from Chongqing, China, which is a province in China. It's up kind of in the north middle of the country. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an isolated area. It does have one of the largest cities in China, which is Chongqing City. They were used by the country people out of the city back you know, they're supposed to be over 2,000 years old. Wow. They found pottery and stuff that resembles them. You know, to me, they look almost prehistoric, right? Like, I mean, they look primordial. They have that really yeah. antique look about them. So they're starting to do a lot of research on the breed's history. You look at DNA testing, they come back with very ancient starts. They're trying to think that they're between the Asian wolves and like Chows and Sharpay as far as where they come in on the timeline of things. Wow. So definitely an ancient breed. <laughs> yeah, very ancient. And do they believe that they are a progenitor for other breeds? Yeah, most definitely. They think they fall somewhere in there, like I said, around the times that the Sharpay and the Chows started in China. Okay. They are kind of placing them in the same category of dogs as the Tibetan Mastiffs. They are putting them as a Molosser breed, which is kind of odd. Interesting. Yeah. Because they weigh what, like 40 pounds, maybe? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but just because of maybe the foundational early onset of them. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so tell us some more. Tell us what they were used for by the folks there in their province. Well, in the beginning, they used them as guard dogs and for hunting. Mm -hmm. They are very athletic dog, and people a lot of times look at them and they get caught up on their face, look smashed up. Right. <laughs> and they're thinking, that's a brachycephalic dog. It can't be hunting anything. They are very much an athletic dog. That does not slow them down at all. So I can personally believe that they were used for hunting and little guard dogs. They're not time barkers. They're more of they alert you when something strange is around. Mm -hmm. You accept it. They settle right down. But that was primarily their use. I'm sure that in times of need, they use them for dinner. Well. I mean, lots of places, lots of times, right? Yep. <laughs> the ones that I've seen that you have, they have this big dog in a small package, but in a macho way. Yeah. Like they feel like they're a stand-up dog. How are they temperament-wise? They are a very, very confident dog. They are not a dog that backs down from a challenge. They <laughs> are very much exactly how you describe a very big dog in a little. <laughs> They're not one to go out and start stuff with other dogs. Right. But they don't put a lot of nonsense. Right. So do you have issues between the Corsos and the little guys? You know, I haven't had too much of an issue, believe it or not. <laughs> That's good. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one time I did have an issue, it started out really early on as the two were 
young dogs mm. and they just like some people don't get along they right. were not going to get along right <laughs> we just kept those two separate but i think that was more of an isolated incident because everybody pretty much gets along sometimes the big dogs all the little dogs and in the as right <laughs> and they get a little upset you know when they're you know right. playing and whatnot hey look but, it's a bowling uh, ball <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah for the most part they get along fine and how are they with people Do you have any human aggression issues or they're just guardy? I mean, like I said, the ones I've seen are not snuggle dogs at the dog shows. No, they're not. So they can be very aloof with people. Mm -hmm. I have one and she's kind of like, I really don't care one way or another if I meet these people or not. Mm -hmm. My other two, they'll come up and meet you, but they aren't like, I need you to pet me and I want your attention. It's kind of like they have their own agenda all the time Valid. they're very cat-like in a way i guess you know mm-hmm. i'll come meet you but eh, yeah. whatever <laughs> which is kind of disheartening for some people when they're right. really curious about the breed and they right. oh, i want to see them and they really don't care Dogs are like whatever <laughs> get off me <laughs> yep <laughs> that reminds me a lot though of a lot of the asiatic breeds that i know akitas mm-hmm. shibas chows Sharpay. I mean, all have that same basic, no, I'm my own thing. And you can pet me if you want to, but could you just not bother me? Tibbies. I mean, all of these breeds have the same basic losses. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. all of them have that basic. I think that's really, really interesting and fascinating. And upkeep, exercise, you know, grooming. Do you have to do nose rolls? What is that like? So as far as exercise and stuff, these dogs being really athletic, I've taken mine for some serious like 10 mile hikes Mm -hmm. and they're just go, go, go the whole time. Mm -hmm. They actually are fine to lay around in my house all day, but it's good to get them out for a run, even if it's 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. just to race around the yard or whatever to just burn off some energy. But I think that they would do very well for, you know, people that have apartments or whatnot, Mm -hmm. just to take them out for a couple walks a day and be good. They have really low maintenance as far as grooming goes. Right. Their coat is very, very sparse. You can see their skin through the fur. Right. They're not hairless, but they are not hairy either. No. They are definitely not hairy (laughs) and they are hairless. They're supposed to have a strip of close to being hairless down their back and down the top of their tail. And that's part of their breed standard. So it does look like they're balding there. (laughs) Most dogs don't have any hair on the insides of their legs, on the backs of their legs. It's just kind of on the outside. And it's a coarser coat, usually about three quarters of an inch. is pretty long for their coat. They come in shades of red and black. That's what I was just going to ask you. I've never seen anything that wasn't a dark color. So that's basically they're all dark skinned, dark goated dogs. Yeah. I have had them sunburned before. Mm. So if you lived in a really sunny, hot area, you'd probably have to put sunscreen on them. Right. They do love to sunbathe in the sun. And Mm -hmm. so here living on the coast, I don't have that issue too much. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're over what? Like Astoria, Lincoln City, right? (laughs) I'm a little bit south of Newport. Okay. Right. On the ocean. Yep. But no, their coat or their skin's really easy upkeep. It's not like a lot of other dogs. They don't get acne. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any real weird problems where I had any special ointments or creams or anything like that. I usually just 
bathe them maybe once or twice a month if they really need it. And mm-hmm. I rub them down with coconut oil after I bathe them. Just make them uh, nice and soft. But... Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us a little bit. I mean, there can't be very many of them. So your friend decided yeah. to import them. And where is this breed in a preservation breeding sort of situation? So it is very, very rare in the United States. I think there may be like 50 of them and that's being pretty generous. I'm amazed there's 50. <laughs> yeah. In Europe, it's a little different. They're becoming more popular. There's a lot more people in Europe trying to preserve the breed. And China is now on a big mission to preserve their native breeds. And so it's unfortunate right now they are listed in any registry. They're a miscellaneous group with the FCI. So they're shown in group 11. Mm-hmm. They think that they can get them full FCI recognition in 2022 now. Oh, wow. They're going to be in group two. What happened was as they were learning more about Back in, right when my friend (laughs) imported the breed, Mm -hmm. they split the breed into two different breeds. So there's a Chongqing dog, and then there's another breed called a Chongdong hound. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So it was kind of a bummer for her. And are they basically the same or they're not the same? And what's the difference? Yeah. So they are so close. (laughs) Right. So this happened right after she imported her. So she was kind of at a loss of what to do. Right. The Chongqing dogs have the more brachiocephalic face. Mm -hmm. They are shorter in leg and they are a little bit of a longer dog. Where the Chongdong hound has a longer snout. It has to have a scissor bite. Mm. It only comes in red and it's a little taller square dog. Interesting. Yeah. They both have the same coat type. They have the same bamboo shoot looking tail. Mm-hmm. So the temperament of the hound is supposed to be actually less people friendly. Oh, my. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they split the breed. So then there's a lot of talk about hybrid dogs oh, going around right. and whatnot. And uh-huh. so, yeah, it kind of got a little messy there for a while. <laughs> Interesting. When I got into the breed, I didn't know it was going to be so evolving as it is. For yeah. such an ancient breed, getting the standard and right. whatnot tied down is very yeah. evolving. <laughs> yeah, I've talked to people doing that, you know, trying to bring dogs up. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. So, hey, crew. New year, new decade. Let's have some new Pure Dog Talk promos while we're at it, shall we? All right. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive Pure Dog Talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. 
And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook Live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for runner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming, like what products do I like or anybody else like. Open mic Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talks patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. So just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. So have you had any connection with the AKC yet, trying to bring them up into FSS or anything like that here in the States? I have. I've been in contact with them. Their big thing is, is they're like, we need to see them recognized in some country. Okay. And I was like, okay, well. In the beginning, when I, it's kind of, you know, you lose some things in translation, talking mm-hmm. to people in, from other European countries. And I was under the impression that they were indeed accepted by the CKU, which is the Chinese Kennel Union. And then I found out that, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and of course, getting stuff translated from right. China right. <laughs> is very difficult in its own way. Right. And so... When they get the FCI recognition and get put into group two, I will start a big push for foundation stock service here. Right. So in the meantime, I've been trying to reach out and get to know as many people as I can in the United States that have the breed. Mm -hmm. There's been talk of starting a breed club. It's been kind of going Mm -hmm. slow. But the big thing I've been pushing is for everybody to track the dogs that they breed. Right. So that we can keep track of the generations. Right. When I owned my first Corso, he was on the Foundation Stock Service. It was before they closed the stud books. Right. And so I learned a lot about that whole, what I had to go through there. And so I've been using that experience in talking with some of these other people that have the Chongqing dog. And these are the things we need to do. Super valuable experience. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So I'm hoping that we can make that transition within six months to a year after SCI gives them recognition. Sure. And so how are they like, you know, it's such an ancient breed, but there's not very many of them, blah, blah, blah. How are they for genetic diversity? How are they for general health and well-being? How is that situation with them? 
So the diversity thing is pretty wild. Hmm. There seems to be no real major like health problems with them. That's and nice. this is talking to several breeders in Europe and then you know, the other people here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And the things that do happen are very rare, actually. The bifurcated noses mm. is one thing that happens. I did have a puppy in my litter recently that had that. But I have talked to plenty of other people and they have heard of it, but maybe only people in Europe maybe seen it a couple of times and nobody here in the U.S. had seen it. Wow. I have heard of people having like the cherry eye issue mm -hmm. with them, but really... No other real issues. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they're pretty healthy. <laughs> Do they live forever? I mean, we assume they live forever. They're a good size, so. Yeah, they put the lifespan on them to be 15 to 18 years. My goodness. Yeah. I keep talking to all these people with these breeds, with these long-lived breeds. I'm like, wow, Laotian. Laotian live forever. It's like insanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay, so if someone is interested in a Chongqing dog, mm -hmm. they should get in touch with you, your friend in New Mexico. Are there any of them? Are they going to have to wait for like three more years in order to get one? What's that like right now? So my friend in New Mexico has kind of taken a break and stepped back a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what her future plans are. I myself, I did one litter and I'm going to see how this goes. <laughs> and maybe try again in another year. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of people that know about the breed. Right. And, you know, that's why I'm hoping like something like this will help. This is exactly, exactly what we're here for, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know of a couple other people that are breeding a lady in Texas and another lady out of New York. Okay. And I kind of keep in touch with them. And, you know, we're all going through this learning experiment together mm -hmm. with you. <laughs> right. Wow. It has been a learning experience with these puppies that I have right now. I was just going to ask you, that was where I was going. How has this been? Are they like feral? I mean, how are they with their puppies? I mean, it's just <laughs> fascinating to me. Well, first of all, the Chongqing mothers are incredible mothers. Mm. Best mother dog I've ever witnessed. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. The puppies themselves are kind of, like you said, like little feral dogs. <laughs> I'm used to my Connie Corso puppies where they want to be with the people and they want to follow the people around when you let them out in the yard and right. are playing with them. Chongqing dogs are so curious. They want to check everything out. And we let them out in the yard and they would all go a different direction. And they aren't scared of anything. <laughs> Hurting cats much? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would try calling them and they don't even turn their head. Oh, my God. <laughs> like they have their own agenda. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's definitely when we let the puppies out in the yard, it's a family affair to keep track of. Them, right, right. Certain. I was just going to say, everybody, each one of you gets a corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. But in the same token, they're just fascinating to watch them explore stuff. Right. It's been a lot of fun. There are a lot, a lot of personality yeah. as puppies. <laughs> yeah. So you are certainly familiar with all protocol, puppy culture, all that kind of stuff. So talk a little bit about applying some of our normal dog raising protocol to essentially a primordial breed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will say, being that they're so primitive, they are very, very clean dogs. Mm. They took to a potty box, like, right away. Mm. And they're, um, I've been working with house training on them, mm. and they're doing excellent with that, too. I'm not having any issues with them that way at all. 
Nice. Now, some of the other things, they're pretty stubborn in working with handling them a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been very diligent with that. It was a big step for me to say, we're going to keep these puppies here till 12 weeks. Oh, wow. Because I think they're going to need that extra time with mother and with me right? <laughs> to try and curb some of this craziness. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. Their mom plays with them and she wants to be with them still. Interesting. And in that, it's been a blessing because she does a lot of disciplining on them when they get into it with each other, mm-hmm. which is really neat to watch because my Corso moms, they don't right. want to really hang out with the puppies anymore right. at that age. Right. <laughs> like, get away from me. Exactly. And she's still a very doting mother, which it's been very, like I said, very neat to watch. And maybe that has a lot to do with their being so primitive. Mm-hmm. I have Basenji friends, so the same type of old primitive breed, the similar types of reports. I think it's fascinating. Okay, so in closing, we'll make sure there's tons and tons of pictures of these little guys. Yeah. And contact information and all of that. If you could think of like the craziest, weirdest, coolest thing to say about the Chongqing dog, what would it be in a positive? And then one that's like, and you won't like this one thing. Oh, wow. (laughs) In a positive way, they are one of a kind. And I seriously can't imagine not having them in my home now. Right. I think once you have them, you can never go back. They stick with you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Their uniqueness. And yeah, I just, I love it. (laughs) Awesome. And so what is it about them that you think a person, if this bothers you, you shouldn't get them sort of thing? They really need a firm, Mm -hmm. consistent owner like a mastiff you know mm-hmm. they will challenge you but they also they want respect when you discipline so that's something to really keep in mind just because they're a smaller dog you can't just pick it up when it's too bad <laughs> <laughs> it needs a big dog discipline <laughs> mm-hmm. well and i think about you know i had akitas for years and i always think basically akitas want mutual respect and if you treat them like people with fur you're going to do okay. Mm-hmm. Like you don't come up and give them a great big hug around the neck if you don't know them. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't tell them to get out of their own kitchen if you don't live there. You know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I am so excited to have this information for people. And like I said, I had people just from hearing the name that I mispronounced in another show, <laughs> people were so excited to learn about them. So I really appreciate you taking the time to just hop on the phone and talk about them. So uh, it's yeah, fabulous. Definitely. Anytime. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, Brandy, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And I very much look forward to getting bunches and bunches of pictures from you. So. Certainly. <laughs> As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. 
That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.